0: It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! Yeah, and the crowd goes absolutely wild. This week, my special guests are Tracy and Vance Marino. Um uh, Very, very well-established composers and songwriters in the sync world and also the authors. Well, I barely need to hold this up because they've got one that's right between their heads. Um, (laughs) The authors of this book, hey, that's my song, a guide to getting music placements in film, TV, and media. So welcome to the show, guys. I have known Tracy and Vance, I don't know, 15 or more years easily. Um... Look at them. They're being so polite. They're not
1: saying a word. (laughs) Well, actually, we we had a little bet as to how long it would be before one of us got to say something. Well, there you go. I would say that was about 42 seconds. Um, I actually met you in
2: San Diego in 1993 when you came down here to promote Taxi and I signed up.
0: Wow, Um, and I met
2: Vance in '95, so it was two years. I've known you longer than Vance. First rally in 2001.
1: 2001.
0: Yeah, you guys are definitely among the most well-attended rally attendees. Uh, Like 14 or
1: 15 of them, or something.
2: Oh, or more. um, I think 20. All the
1: all the in-persons since 2021. I'm sorry, and since 2001, except we missed 2003. But all the in-persons, yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah, every Um, single time. And we wouldn't miss it for the world.
1: Well, thank you for that. You know, um, I
0: I want to read off a a little shorty bio, which is short, just because we could fill uh, the entire hour and a half with their bio. But wife and husband music writing team, Tracy Marino and Vance Marino, are composers, songwriters, musicians. Well, that makes sense. uh, Producers and authors with more than 3,000 songs and cues in their BMI catalog. Their music is heard daily around the world in TV shows, films, trailers, documentaries, video games, and national commercials. They've had placements in a Disney Touchstone film, The Last Song, starring Marley, Miley Cyrus. Um, TV shows like The Voice, Saturday Night Live, The Tonight Show, The Late Show, The Kelly Clarkson Show. So basically, if you have a talk show, you got to use their music. Uh, and many, many more. The Marino's new book, "Hey, That's My Song: A Guide to Songwriting uh, or A Guide to Getting Placements in Film, TV, and Media," was number one in songwriting and number one in music business on Amazon. Welcome back to the big show, Tracy and Vance. <laughs> hey. The fact that they've been to so many road rallies is what made them pop into my head. They'd reached out to me some time ago, hey, if you'd like to have us back on the show, let's pick a date and plan for the future. And I said, great. And I thought, well, what the heck do we talk about? All of a sudden, over the last 30 days or so, I've had several incidents with composers or songwriters, musicians in general, doing what I would call kind of dopey stuff online. and. Uh, We'll talk about that in a little more depth, but that uh, in a minute, but or a few minutes. But that inspired me to want to do a show about five things you could do to kill an industry relationship because Tracy and Vance are advanced. Notice that was a play on words. Um, (laughs) 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 It's setting up uh, at building relationships, and the number one tool that they've employed is going to everything. You cannot go to an event and not see the two of them at the event. You cannot be online, you know, like for a Facebook group or something. And they will be there for everything. And frankly, when I first met them many years ago and saw them just everywhere, I thought, oh my God, those guys, they're burning through so much money and so much gasoline, driving from San Diego to LA all the time. I think they might be overdoing it a little bit. But you know what? they were correct. They were right. I was wrong because it has paid off. And they do a chapter in this book that uh, is aptly called Networking and Building Relationships. So let's start out with the positive and go into the moment that you said to each other, I'm guessing it was probably Tracy said to Vance, and he went, okay, honey, because we we were just talking about that before we went live. Um, (laughs) Tracy said to Vance, you know, we should go to every event imaginable and build a network. Who who was it that had the idea? And how long ago was it? What prompted you to have the idea? Where was the genesis of all this?
2: It was actually in March 2008 when we went to a little tiny music conference. Uh, I don't know even how we found out about it, but it it was just a little gathering. Oh, and it was John Brehaney was there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Vance and I said, we have to do more of this, go to LA more, because we know that guy, and and he kind of knows us, and we started talking to him. And then it was at a taxi rally. We met, uh, well, we actually met him several times, but a music supervisor, he was on a panel, and he said, to everybody, immerse yourself in the music business. And we both looked at each other and said, that's it. We're gonna go to everything we can. And it paid off, it really did pay off. So thanks to the taxi rally.
1: (laughs) Well, going to events and meeting people in person, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the, uh, um, should be one of the goals in building relationships with music industry people. Uh, I think uh, some of the early music events we went to, they were, You know, the music industry professionals, music supervisors, publishers, label owners, and they're up on the panel and they're up there and we're just down here and they're somehow sometimes literally above us because they're up there on the stage. Now, have you
0: seen yourself in a mirror? Nobody is above you. Tracy and Vance are tall people. <laughs>
1: kind um, of tall. Yeah. But, but, um, but what we found is that when you actually talk to them, you know, when they're not on the stage, maybe you there's always the mob after the event. But sometimes you just catch them in the hallway or in the elevator, um, and you just talk to them, and you realize this is just a regular person. Gee, if only I knew how to get along with a regular person, and they, and if we just call on those those skills that hopefully we learned about you know, asking questions, being polite. Um, that's what we, we and we realized those things don't happen at home. This is before Zoom, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the only contact we used to have uh, with people in the old days was in person. So going to events and meeting people and just treating them like regular people. Don't, don't treat them like uh, royalty. They don't, i very few of them actually like that. They want you to respect them, of course. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think the biggest thing, networking sounded so scary and I had a dad who just hated that word. He said, oh, it's disgusting. I don't know why he just thought it was awful. And I think he thought it was like climbing over people to get where you want to go, but that's not what it is. It's about just making friends is networking. And then if you know, like we know several singers who do pop, we know who to refer if we trust somebody we can refer a pop singer we can refer someone to a library it's their specialty or something like that it's just making connections so when you think of it that way it's not such a awful scary thing and it can be scary because we're shy <laughs> we were really shy uh, so it took a long long time to really be comfortable networking
0: i i too am shy even though most people think i'm not because i moderate the road rally Oh, I'm getting some bleed through. Uh, are you watching? I'm hearing my voice loop back. Um, you're not watching the show on another tab, right? No. That's no. weird. And now I'm not. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm inherently shy. I'm the guy that at a party would stand in the corner and talk to my wife. And if she goes to talk to somebody else, I turn to the corner and talk to it. Um, it's uh so I don't naturally, like, I, I don't follow enough sports to use that. That's a great networking tool. It's like, you know, how about those Lakers? Uh, that's always a good conversation starter, but you can't BS your way through, you know, last week's game if you didn't
1: actually watch it. So That's how it, it has worked for Tracy and I, networking, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I can do that. Someone's talking about the Dodgers and the Padres rivalry. I'm there. Um, and, and But... Uh, there are times when, uh, uh, fortunately, there are a lot of. For instance, I, I, for instance, I remember when Tracy was talking to uh, Cassie Lord, who used to be with uh, Five Alarm Music. She's no longer with them anymore. But but she, we we went up to her and introduced ourselves, and Tracy says, "Oh, Cassie, I love your shoes." And I'm thinking, I never, even if I did say that, it would just sound funny. <laughs> but creepy. it was just authentic coming <laughs> from her.
2: Yeah. Right. And we
1: it. can we can use our our respective genders. <laughs> in our, in our well, favor. Well, it yeah, doesn't you, always
2: have to be that way. It can just be music. And at the rally, it, for instance, it's all about music. We all love music. It doesn't really matter. And the first question we always say is, how many rallies have you been to before? and at the last rally there were so many newbies so we'd say well check out this and go you can do a one-on-one with this person and this person's really cool and and we'd see them walking around later on they go oh thanks so much for telling us about so and so because we really had a great meeting or oh yeah i met that guy in the lobby so there again it's connecting everybody and that's what it's all about and pretty soon you have a community and i tell you no one fosters that community like you michael thank you I would love to take credit
0: for it but honestly (laughs) like I always say I poured the slab put up the barn, opened the doors and it was the people that walked in that really built the community I just gave you guys a cozy place to do it but uh, I think it's because that very first generation the Matt Hertz uh, of the world that were literally like the first five successful members to talk about it um They set the tone, and once I I quickly did recognize there was a tone and have always worked to maintain it rather than letting it... There's a gear forum that has been well-known for many years, and it recently changed its name to be a little more appropriate for the Times. I won't mention its name, but it has a reputation amongst even its biggest fans as being kind of a nasty place. like, oh, you call that a bass sound, (laughs) you know? By the way, great conversation starter is walk up and say that dress makes your butt look fabulous. And everybody <laughs> at the convention will know you in no time flat. Um, right. Forget the shoes.
2: <laughs> that, that might be on the list of how to kill everything. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Hats off to you guys. You have really, you just showed up and, and you know, people can be very clawing uh, and and like it's so obvious what they're doing and that is is, hopefully I didn't just take one of your things off your list by mentioning that but it's pretty obvious when I finish a panel at the rally and people flood the stage there are certain people that come up there after every single panel you know we have a problem with the photographer at the end of the rally when I get like 5,000 shots back to pick the stuff we're going to go with And the same person is in every single shot. I can't use those shots because that person would be in more shots than the industry people. I've literally had to call two members and say, can you do me a favor and wait until the photographer is done and then go in there and cling on to these people? They literally, 2018 or 2019, I had to throw out a bunch of great shots because there was one gentleman that was in every single shot. Every one. Anyway, didn't matter who, who the panelist was or what the topic was. He was in there. So, um, yeah, you guys handle it gracefully or adeptly. Uh, you're just there. You have a network of friends, and it's pretty obvious that you're well-liked and you've built a network. Um, <laughs> Peter rails in the chat says, yeah, that's Taxi's Waldo. Um, <laughs> so... Again, before we get into the negative stuff, um, have you found the networking to be more productive for meeting industry people or meeting collaborators? Is there a
1: one that's stronger than the other? Well, well I think that what's important and and speaking of you know taxi over a period of time is that there uh, you have to be really careful about the, the the distinction between the two because and you know this, Michael. Uh, there are several taxi members, they're music creators like like we are, and over time they decide I'm going to start a catalog, mm-hmm. and so, so you know they start off we start off being peers, and all of a sudden they have a library, and well, maybe we want to pitch music to them, and we say to ourselves, boy, it's a good thing we're, we've we've been nice and professional and ch- with them all these years, not because we wanted anything out of it, we just wanted to have friends that we could commiserate with and and uh, uh, and celebrate with, and and th- that th- just that overall. Uh, vibe of of just wanting to be a part of a community that everybody uh, supports and
2: contributes to. Yeah, for instance, we were talking to some friends at the Taxi Rally. We told them about something called the NAB Show, and it's the (laughs) National Association of Broadcasters, and it's a big show that was in Las Vegas. It's still there, but all the music libraries used to go there, but along with the sub publishers. So we told our friends, they decided to go that year and they met connections and now one of our friends started a music library from those connections that he met there so wow you know it's pretty cool and our our platform is to share information that's why we wrote the book really because over and over people would grill us or ask us questions which we didn't mind answering how can you do this how do you kind of progress here. It's all about making relationships. That's the biggest secret. Anyone can write really good music. Very few can write awesome, great music. Those are the hit songs. But a lot of people can write good stuff that can be in music libraries and sync companies. Um, They just don't have the relationships. That's the big factor that gets you from A to B.
1: Well, we found when you meet somebody, whether it's at a music industry event, or if you, you're in LA, maybe at the gas station, or at the gym, or in the grocery store, you meet somebody and you find out, oh, you're in the music business too, regardless of if they are a peer that does what you do, or if they are somebody who could, maybe there's somebody that could sign your music. Either way, if you just get to know them, this is the important part, ask questions, um, and figure out, okay, well, what can we do for each other? Not just what can you do for me, what can i do for you and that's the way we approach it if we're talking to somebody right. who has a music library or a, you know sync agency what can we do for you that, that that uh you're having difficulty finding this kind of music well we can do that for you um and that hopefully turns into something that they're doing for us but but that's not necessarily the goal
2: yeah in fact uh, there was a publisher for a daytime talk show a popular daytime talk show a long time ago and he uh he hired us to write music for that show but i noticed he would send out this list of keywords and it was just a jumble of keywords yet it wasn't even in order so i took we took the time to put it all in alphabetical order and then i said hey how about if we make it according to what the mood is is it positive is it negative is it neutral so we organized this huge list for people So in other words, if it's like angry cue, you didn't have to look through angry and happy and joyful. We had it all mishmash. So we sent it to the publisher and he goes, oh, my gosh, this is great. I'm going to share this with all my 50 composers. And sure, go ahead. It made his job easier. It made their job easier. And we expounded on that in our book and really divided it up even further to, to, to make it easier why not make it easier it helped the industry we even had a music supervisor at uh, the music supervisors conference and he was on a panel he said hey I use this list that the Marinos put together nice (laughs) yeah it was really cool and that's what it's all about it's helping people if you can do something for a music industry person you are golden you know (laughs) so that really helps people
0: and I mean, one of the rules that I follow is don't blurt out at first meeting in the first 30 seconds of the budding relationship. I've got the best music in the world for you. I had dinner the other night with the executive producer of a bunch of TV shows, and uh, I never even mentioned pitching taxi music you know, or, or running listings with him. It'll come in time. And as it turns out, we really hit it off. I mean, we spent four hours the dinner with just the two of us. It was like a really good first date. <laughs> and um I didn't have to try to not mention taxi to him. Um it just felt like not the right thing to do at the right time. So I think that you're right. Just showing up and, and building friendships based on stuff other than My music is the best music in the world. It's always that person with a thumb drive or a CD in their hand standing at the edge of the stage saying, you got to check this out. It's great. It's great. Those of us who are more seasoned in the industry know that it's got to be above a certain level. Yes, we all know that. But it's not about being great or being the most wonderful composer, best songwriter in the world. It's about having the right music for the right thing at the right time. A B-plus song for the right scene will do better than an A-plus-plus that's not right for the scene, let's face it. So I think you guys have done a really good job of kind of sensing what the the proper etiquette is. And etiquette is... Every every industry has its own etiquette, and ours certainly does. Um, Something that came up recently um, in a, a... person's YouTube channel um, was about whether or not the industry, somebody who I like and respect, um, does really good videos. And uh, it came up that the industry doesn't get back. When Taxi forwards, you know, 27 things to a production music library, and the library might take three or four or five, whatever the number is, they don't, send an email to the people that they've heard through Taxi that they're not going to sign because they know if they did, their email address would be everywhere, number one. They'd have a back and forth conversation going on with every one of them. Well, what didn't you like about it? What could I do differently? Can I pitch you other stuff? What else are you looking for, you know, down the road? It's a lot of babysitting of a relationship that they can't, they just don't have the luxury of time to take care of that many people. So they tend to focus, the library owners tend to focus their efforts on the people that they do have a relationship with vis-a-vis they've already signed them and know them to act in a professional manner. So this person basically put it on taxi's shoulders to be the entity that would change the industry standard for as long as I've been in the business, which is very, very long time, um, that the industry should let everybody know out of professional courtesy, to which I say professional courtesy is extended to those you have a professional relationship with. So that all comes part and parcel to what you're talking about, which is just be a friend, be a mensch, be somebody who doesn't, get perceived as a pain in their butt um, mm-hmm. or or too needy or too demanding or uh, I don't realize that you've got 112 other things you're doing today. And if I do talk to you, it should be for like two minutes. So I think you guys have done a really good job of feeling that out. And you talk about it in, in this chapter quite a bit. Um, just show up, one of the subheads, you know, uh, getting to know you. So do you want to talk about... Before we get into the the things that can kill a relationship, you want to talk about uh, the getting to know you part? Uh, well, we've talked about it pretty much already. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, I want to mention, I could not find a single road rally badge. They put a, a picture of all the badges that they've collected <laughs> over the years from conferences.
2: It covered an entire table. And our photographer uh, is a good friend of ours and she just happened to get this one section. It's all Vance's badges. We have probably 10 times that amount that's on there. So, Well, well tell we me the photographer.
0: We- Look for a rally badge, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> tell the photographer. That. I, I wasn't looking for one, but I didn't see one either. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the next edition will have that. But, yeah, they're... you are know, getting, getting to know you, um, we wrote that because it's not just about, here's my music, listen to my music. It's about, hey, you know, I understand you, uh, music industry person. You have this wonderful company, and you just got a placement in the Guardians of the Galaxy newest movie, and we write this kind of music help them out. You know, it's about that and keeping in contact with people. So we'll we'll talk about that more later, but there's nothing more flattering. This is my favorite tip. Then if you meet somebody, check out their music and listen to it. We met a person in Nashville just a couple of months ago. It was on the day of the school shooting. Mm. It was at a music conference and everyone was so traumatized. We were in lockdown. And we're all sitting there at this conference kind of in shock. And then they said, Oh, it's time for lunch. Let's just go, you know, try and be okay. And Vance said, this is crazy. It's a room full of sensitive people, you know? <laughs> and so sure enough, this girl, this woman behind us was really traumatized. And I, I said, uh, so what do you do and where are you from? And we're just kind of making small talk and she goes, I'm so sorry. I'm just really traumatized. Cause I have nephews who are the, the same ages as the victims. And I said, I'm so sorry, you know, we're all really just kind of numb about this news. So we ended up having lunch with her and and met some people at the table and, and kind of cheered ourselves up. And it turns out we got home and listened to her music, and she had written this beautiful, poignant song called Little Nephews. Mm. And Vance and I listened to it, and we were like crying, and we said, gosh, that was amazing. But do the courtesy of listening to people's music. It's it's really the most flattering thing and, and you connect and and, you know, it was just, a lot of people don't take the time to do that. And, and you might, we've met all our collaborators that way. We'd listen to their music and, um, you know, we listened to Paula McMath. We met her years ago at the rally, right before the, the, the mentor lunch. And, and I said, oh my gosh, she has the most beautiful voice and she just says things so beautifully. She expresses herself and we've become great friends. We've written songs. Um, she has this one song that's played in Europe all the time that we co-wrote. So you never know where that goes, but really be genuine and take an interest in other people and their work and you can end up collaborating with them.
1: There are situations where you don't know who you're going to meet as, as in the story that Tracy just told. Um, There are other times, though, when you have an idea. If someone's gonna be on a panel, or maybe you're going to an event where you know that there's a certain person that always is in attendance there. Um, It's actually, we found it uh, to be a good idea to get to know, them their music like tracy said listen to the music ahead of time if if they have a catalog listen to their catalog or be, be familiar with it what kind of placements do they get be realistic would your music be a good fit right just not, because they're successful
0: and have a lot of entree with certain libraries doesn't mean those libraries would be a great fit for you you would only know by doing your homework
1: in advance so exactly. that when you if 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 and when you know you can have a chance meeting with them uh, by stalking them. No, <laughs> no you no, don't no recommend stalking. stalking. No stalking. Um, but if in your first conversation with them, you know, you can communicate with them, uh, not lead with, hey, I got the perfect music. Just talk about other things and let the conversation work its way around to because this is this is when you win is when they ask you, what do you do? What kind of music do you do? Where can I hear your music? That's a win is when you can work the conversation to that point and you work the conversation to that point by not trying to work the conversation. Right.
2: Yeah, and go on their website, see what they've been doing. Um, We're always just laughing because we met because our friends stood us up and that that was a funny story. Um, they at a concert and so people always say, and that's right on our website. And people always go, well, how'd you meet? (laughs) We go, okay, you never went on our website because that's the first line we lead with. And it's a funny line because you never know until you talk to somebody who you're going to meet. And
1: on the other side of that, we've actually met people for the first time and we'll make a reference to something that we know about them. And they'll scratch their head like, how did you know that? And we're thinking it's on On the home page of your website. (laughs) They forgot. (laughs) Yeah, but everybody
0: puts a lot of effort into that homepage. They look at it constantly for a week and then never look at it again.
2: again. (laughs) True. That's true. Yeah.
0: Um, let's see. Oh, uh, what did it? Oh, Meet and Greet, Then Retreat. That, I, that caught my eye and went, now that's friggin' brilliant. Talk about that a bit, <laughs> would you?
2: That's funny, because Vance hated that that title. We, we put a lot of song titles throughout the book and did a twist on them, um, but that one he did not really care for, but there's a reason for that, right? Well, I, I th- it's the guy at the taxi rally who had five thousand pictures taken of him, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the The reason we put that is because you're taking up time, and time is really valuable, of course, anywhere, but especially in the music business. Music supervisors cannot stand to have their time wasted, and they will never. Literally, we've heard stories they will never work with somebody who wasted their time. So, as we found that. A lot of times people are waiting in line to talk to their favorite composer or to meet Diane Warren or whatever. And they would hog the conversation just saying, how great I am. And you should listen to my music, Diane Warren. And maybe we can write sometime, it's not gonna happen. But meanwhile, 20 people are waiting to just meet her. And yeah. then pretty soon she's like, oh, I gotta go. See you later. And I-
0: I understand that first person hogging the time because they've wanted this so badly for so long that they can't believe they're actually getting the opportunity. But you have to not have your blinders on, have your situational awareness glasses on and realize there are other people who had that same desire standing behind you. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. No, no. And as we've been in that line, waiting to speak with somebody and there's somebody who's, who's taking up all their time, and, you know, there's nothing else to do except uh, observe the, the interaction. And pretty much 99% of the time, my opinion, it's that they're making a mistake. But he- here they are talking to this influential person, someone they're a fan of, or somebody that can maybe help them with their career, and any of those. And they're talking and mm-hmm. they're talking. And I'm thinking, you really ought to be listening.
2: Listening or asking ask questions. Some questions. Yeah, exactly. It's a- amazing. Ask
1: some... intelligent questions. Ask questions that indicate you're familiar with their work or or that you were even paying attention during their interview.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Our friend, Brian Curtin, always gave this advice. He'll take something out of something uh, that they're saying and write it down in a note or on his phone. And then afterward, if he gets to meet them, say, oh, I love that advice you gave. And and they're just so flattered, like, wow, you were paying attention? Because I guess not a a lot of people do that. But it really helps with the bonding, you know, and, and just trying to establish some kind of Relationship. That's how you start. Be interested.
0: Do you remember Maureen Crow, who was the, I believe, the co-founder of the uh, Guild of Music M- Supervisors? Um, I interviewed her as my keynote, probably six, seven, eight years ago now, and she's got a lot to say. Maureen is a font of information, rapid-fire delivery, and you got to be right there with her because everything that comes out of her mouth is a gem, and you really have to like write it down and grab it. And she said, don't ever walk up to somebody who's a music supervisor and say, you got to hear my music. Best thing in the world. What are you working on right now? She said the minute she hears, what are you working on? She thinks amateur. And then she had a young girl who might have been like in late high school, early college. And the girl walked up to her at the edge of stage after an event, not long before we did our thing. And the young lady said to her, I see that you're working on such and such a show. And I noticed that throughout the first three seasons, you always have this particular genre of music, which happens to me be my forte. Might you want to hear some of my music? And she actually went to lunch with the young lady because she was so proud of her for having her act that together that she'd done her homework and thought it all the way through is what does Maureen Crow need that I do? And, and I'm sure that that girl still has a relationship all these years later with, I think you know. I know a, who
2: that is actually. Yeah,
0: top music <laughs> uh, supervisor just from doing an hour's worth of homework.
2: Yeah, and she's, uh, if it's the same person, cause I think you mentioned that to her and I think we figured out who it is, but she's actually head of a major company in Nashville now, puts hit songwriters together to write with each other and she's had several hits on the radio, so wow. it's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's what it is. She learned how to um, really be polite and you know, respectful of people's time. But I do remember she worked with her for a while.
0: Um, that was, by the way, the same Maureen Crow that had uh, Taxi was the sponsor of the PMA, or not PMA, uh, of the Guild of Music Supervisor event that year. and. I got this like two foot by three foot poster mounted on poster board made and laminated. This is like a $500 poster between the photographer and the graphics work and getting it blown up in high res four color, blah, blah, blah. Maureen put it on the roof of her car when she walked out of her house and was loading stuff in and then drove away and it blew off and got run over by something. And so now there was a tire track literally that <laughs> scraped through the foam core down to the ground and left a permanent tread mark right through the middle. So we saved it as like a really cool piece of art. Thank you, Maureen.
2: Say, that, that totally fits the road rally. Cause weren't you guys using the little, you know?
0: Yeah. The tire track of the road rally logo, which by, by the way was total coincidence. That was our, you know, front end graphic designer for the, the taxi website that came up with that. And I went, there you go.
2: Um, That works. That works.
0: Let's talk about uh, one more positive before we get into the negative stuff. (laughs) Um, You can't hurry, love. Let's talk about that. The timeline and and letting things marinate. What are your feelings on that?
2: Well, you can go ahead.
0: Oh, okay. You're going to wait. Yeah, yeah. No, that means she's got nothing, and she's throwing the ball to you, so you can yeah. look like a buffoon. <laughs> How does it feel to be the Laurel of Laurel and Hardy? <laughs>
1: I think uh, I think of the many relationships we have with music libraries and sync agencies. Some of them actually uh, started pretty quickly. We met the right person at the right time, had the right music, and uh, and uh, made beautiful music together. But there are other ones that took took longer um obviously you want the faster one but some of the ones that take longer uh certainly for us is one that took 10 years talk about long game president um, of
2: the company <laughs> yeah but
1: uh but eventually we <laughs> we got to the point where well, what, what kind of music do you do let me hear your music and uh that ended up uh we ended up signing a bunch of music with a really great uh library with, with a uh, with great distribution all throughout europe and certainly here in the U.S., but that just happened over a period of time. Seeing each other at events, and uh, we actually spoke on the same panel once, and uh, we just didn't want to come off too strong. And um, and it, it, it we, we played the long game, and it worked. And of course, there's the medium ones. Sometimes they see each other, uh, you see each other at uh, at one event. Okay, that's one event, and then you see each other at a different event for a different organization and i know for us that's when we realized, oh this person is a you know a, a serial event goer
2: um, right like <laughs> us
1: and so there's kind of you know you know game game respects game kind of thing but but it's also it's important we found it to be important to to support organizations and and people like to see that especially the people that are on the boards of those organizations they like to see oh you know thank you for showing up and supporting our our event And what we're doing here and uh so we've had relationships where we've signed music with people after seeing them at at several different events over the years
2: yeah we we actually met a person who um we knew him from taxi and and uh, i called him up and said hey uh we wanted to give you some music and and of course this was early on we didn't know any better and he said um call me in a week i'm really busy Okay, so I have a total phone fear. I used to, I couldn't even pick up the phone. It was paralyzing. So I said, okay, I will call you in a week. So we called back and he said, I'm gonna be out of town. So call me in two weeks. Okay, and we played this game. And for some reason I thought, okay, I'm gonna get over this phone fear and and do what he says. And sure enough, it, it, it took about what, five months or something. And finally he said, okay, send me some songs. Okay. Send me your best three songs, and we did. And he signed, I think, one. And he said, "Okay, uh, now write some more songs." And it, that's it took, gosh, I think a year be- before we had like twelve songs. And um, he was he was great. He he just got us. Uh, he was very brutal. He would call us up and say, "No, uh, this is not working. You know, change this, and I want more here, and, and arrange this." He was so tough, but wow. we, it was like our challenge. And the more he would challenge us, the more we took the challenge. And and it really made us better writers. We learned how to do research. We learned how to listen more critically to what what that he needed to be marketable.
1: And it's important uh, to note that not every library will do that. Some of yeah. them are uh, uh, very proactive at giving feedback on what you send them. Some of them it's just pass fail. It's and yeah. and that's one of the things that you have to learn. Uh, And you can maybe talk to other folks that are in their library, but for the most part, you learn that what what your relationship with them is going to be and how it's going to be by actually just entering the relationship and letting time pass.
2: And getting back to that person you were talking about before with the videos and expecting Taxi to help, there's so much competition out there. We're in one library and when we signed with them about five or six years ago, there were literally 3,000 composers just in this one library and it's a huge library. Now there are about 8,000 composers just in this one library. So we're up now against 5,000 more composers than we were back when we started with them. So it's always keeping up with the trends and that's another reason to network because you'll find places you can be on email lists you have to keep up now the threat is ai and you know that's a whole nother can of worms but you have to know about this stuff and you have to know about the laws that are changing and you have to know um, about samples and when to use them and, and what's going to get you in trouble and what's okay you know you have to know this stuff because you can really burn yourself super easily if you don't do that
0: speaking of burning oneself uh i remember One of the first times I really paid attention to musicians saying dopey stuff in a public forum. Uh, There's a a website I won't mention because I I don't want to trash that site. And it wasn't the site's fault. They just opened the door for this kind of bad behavior. But it's a place where people can go to read reviews, if you will, of different music libraries. And I've always chuckled to myself because the reviews are based on did they sign me? or did they get me a placement? Nothing else about, the, and I understand that from the composer or songwriter's point of view, those are the, the bottom lines. You know, Did they sign me and did they get me make me any money with my music? But there's so much more to a music library. Are they ethical? Are they hardworking? Will they strive really, really hard to get their client? Are they the kind of library that'll say to a music supervisor, I don't have anything that's a good fit, so I don't want to waste your time there's nothing that endears a library more to a supervisor than saying, I'm sorry, I don't have the right thing. Shouldn't do it often, but when they do it, that's like, whoa, because anybody else would just throw 10 things at them and hope that one of them would stick. So there are people uh, that go on the taxi, supervisors go on the taxi forum, um, Music library owners, several of them go on the taxi forum. Uh, they watch other people's YouTube's. That's how I found out about uh, somebody saying something, you know, directly to taxi through a camera recently. Was I got an email, an email or phone call at like seven thirty in the morning from somebody I know at the library saying, "Dude, you need to go check this out." So the site that reviews libraries. Every one of those composers who says something negative, which is the vast majority of the commentary on there, is negative because usually they say it's a 25 to 1 ratio. The 25 people will say something negative versus the one that will raise their hand and say something positive. Um if I were a library owner, I would go on that site and make a list of people that are trashing me and many like we've found that a lot of the people that trash taxi online have never been a member, never been an inquiry, never seen an information kit, probably don't know anything about us and I would guess venture a guess that that's probably the same methodology they use for commenting on libraries. They've got no professional relationship with those companies, but because of word of mouth, they think it's okay for them to go online and go, oh yeah, that library never gets back to anybody. That library never gets a placement of a song, only instrumentals. They say stuff. If I were a library owner, I'd probably have a list of those people and go, I don't want to sign them to my catalog because they're going to be directing that ire at me and at my company. Is that, am I crazy for thinking, just keep your mouth shut, you know? You're (laughs) certainly entitled to have any feelings you have. They're better if they're valid feelings, you know, that you've done the research or homework, and it's not just repeating somebody else's gossip. But I, I... I just don't understand why how does it work out to your benefit and your career's benefit by going online and saying, Oh yeah, I'd never signed with that library. I had a friend that, you know, had four things there and none of them ever got placed. Well, that's not unusual.
2: It you know, like I said, there's so much competition, but really libraries change and they're they're starting to do they go into in and out of being humongous libraries with everything. And now there's kind of a trend for boutique. Like they really specialize in vintage recordings and things like that. But what we've found over the years is that some of the early libraries we had didn't do anything for us and, and we didn't get a dime. And all of a sudden, 10 years later, we get this check for like $800 from one library yeah. recently. And we're like, what? We even forgot about that library. And then there are other libraries where um, we, we were making thousands of dollars every quarter. We get this huge check and now we get a couple hundred. Things change, and they, they were focusing on ringtones. Well, ringtones were huge 10 years ago, and now no one really cares. You know, right. they're they're different. They go through phases, and then people change. We know a lot of people who worked at you know certain big libraries. They've gone on to um, sync licensing companies and very tiny boutiques that work with huge artists. And and then we know other people who they were working at a PRO and now they're working for a library and other people, you know, it's just crazy. It's always changing, especially with the pandemic. So to trash mm. some company or someone is really dumb. Well, the problem
1: with comparing with composers and songwriters and artists comparing, well, how, what do you think of this library or this sync agency? Well, that's just going to be based on their individual experience because we've, you know, we we compare notes. I, I mean, I, we're certainly not discouraging that. Definitely do that. But what we found is that there have been libraries that we're just doing absolutely great with. They're getting us a bunch of placements, making us some money. And, when, and our friends whose music is at least as good, if not better than ours, they're with the same library getting nothing. nothing. Yeah. And then conversely, other libraries that are killing it for them. Have n't done squat for us, and so it's just yeah. a matter of right. it's not just a matter of is this a good library? It's right. a matter of how good a fit is your music for that library in the kind at of that time too. At, oh, f- yeah,
0: how good a fit is your music for that library's clients at that time? Because that that's I... often the game changer, is a show that ran for eight years and finally came to an end, and that was their bread and butter client. And yep. now their income, the library's income has dropped off by 50% because that show went away or yep. the music supervisor got hired on something else or the editors changed. All those variables dictate how often and how much of your music gets used.
2: Yeah, we're in a, a small library we met a long, long time ago, and these guys were just so ethical, and we just love them. We would drop everything and do a catalog for them or a little uh, collection for them of five to ten songs, and they just work so hard. It's just the two of them, and, and we've seen them evolve and change over the years, and they've always had a good work ethic, and we just did a ten... Uh, piece collection of orchestral stuff for them, which we don't typically do. It's just a lot of, uh, it's very <laughs> labor intensive. Let's just say it takes a lot to go in there and edit Poor advance was doing a lot of that too, but they're in with NBC universal now. So it's a game changer. Um, you want to, you just kind of have to stick it out and and use your gut feeling about who's really working it who believes in your music who could care less we've had those too they're really excited at first and then they're like i'm kind of out of the business we know more libraries have closed in the past couple of years not just because of the pandemic just people got kind of sick and tired of it. it it's hard it's constantly we're looking for new shows and um music supervisors and then they change and everything's all different so it's really and all of it is
0: that. part and parcel to what i was talking about earlier which is the library's ability it's not that they they don't have it in their heart to get back to people and say i'm sorry this didn't work for me because because they've probably been there as a composer at some previous point in, the, in their career arc as well so they certainly have a, a lot of empathy for people but um you're right it, They work really hard. And, you know, music supervisors equally as hard. And a lot of people think music supervisors are like A&R people. They're the the decider. They decide what goes in the shows. Not really. They're more like a casting agent, putting it under the EP's nose or putting it under the director's nose. Those people make the final decisions. And supervisors, I mean, if you Google average music supervisor salary, you'll be astonished. I don't know how accurate the numbers are, but music soups don't necessarily make, you know, like a quarter of a million dollars a year. There might be a couple, but not many. And and they work their butts off and it's not a nine to five or a nine to six job. It's like work till 11 PM and start over at 8 AM the next day. So when they have to work that hard to earn a living, that's not like doctor lawyer money in most cases, um, they have to keep working on their career and doing their job well to get further referrals so they can get more work rather than, oh, I'm so sorry, Tracy and Vance, your thing didn't work because it was overly melodic or it was a little longer than what I could use or some of your samples might have sounded a little dated. They figure it out on your own, you know, Uh, ask ask your peers, the network of your peers that you've built, the ones that are your trusted friends who have earned your trust because they've been around for a while and what comes out of their mouth is is sage advice, rather than putting that burden on the shoulders of the library owner or the supervisor. Just my two cents. So now let's talk negative. Uh, Oh
2: boy, the fun stuff.
0: Yeah, let's get into what are some career killing things that you can do um the... and, and
2: I think we've done all of these, but we picked out the five ways to kill music industry relationships and I'll just read them off so everyone has these right away. It's number one is and we'll talk we can explore each one. but first of all, bad communication. it's 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 rampant. so and we could talk about the points of that. But bad communication, number two. Uh,
1: n- not knowing how to follow up.
2: Very important. Number three is do research.
1: Uh, Number four is failure to understand the music business
2: and five. (laughs) I think this is the most important one being unprofessional. Those will kill. Those are the five sins of ruining me. It just will incinerate relationships if you don't know those five things. So it's bad communication. Know how to follow up. Do your research and failure to understand the music business, the most important, being unprofessional. So we're, we're guilty of probably most of those.
1: At, at least once.
2: Yes, at least <laughs> once. But the point is, you learn from that. You burn, then you learn. <laughs> Hopefully you won't burn all the time. Yeah, but, can, you um, come,
1: can you
0: bounce back after you've burned yourself by making that sometimes mistake?
2: Sometimes you can't. We actually yeah. knew yeah. Uh, a, a composer, big time A-list, Hollywood composer, was working on major feature films. He missed one deadline. And he never worked again, and that's a true story from wow. a PRA person who said that. And we both looked at each other and said, "Oh my gosh, never miss a deadline."
1: But what we found uh, with story. the different people that we've met over the years is that, you know, we, we started going to events and meeting people, and we didn't uh, didn't have any success. We were just trying to figure out how things worked, what are the parameters, uh, how how does it all work? And um, we and part of that is meeting people, and and when you meet people that are professionals in the industry and they meet you and you're you're a a newbie a beginner you don't understand how everything works there are some people five ten years later they're always going to see you as it's like being a parent saying "Oh yeah yeah, i know you're an adult and you graduated from college but i remember and you couldn't tie your shoes there are some industry people that will look at us even though we've since learned to tie our shoes and have gone on to have success we'll always be beginners in their eyes there are other people who we met back then who have been championing us and, and uh, encouraging mentoring us, us, mentoring yeah. us, telling us, answering our questions. Um, and uh, those are the ones we're working with. And the people that, that um, still choose to see us as beginners, you, there's not not much we can do about that. Just, just say, okay, that's, we, with this person from this library, they put us in this category. Let's just put our, our efforts elsewhere. And sometimes you just have to accept that. Yeah, like, we cut definitely, we we try to be that way too though. When we meet people who just get started, we love well, we love it. When we, we meet people, they're trying to figure it out and then you see them again two, three, five years later, and they're starting to have success. And and you and maybe we are a little part of that by answering them some questions, giving them some advice. It's a it's a
2: cool thing. Yeah.
0: I had yeah. a situation, uh, and I do want to get to number two, so I'll make this short, but um when I worked at Criteria Studios in the 70s, the Bee Gees were there doing the album that had jive, talking on it, and then Saturday Night Fever. I would see them in, you know, in the hallway at the coffee machine, water cooler, multiple, multiple times a day. We all kind of were a big family under that roof. I knew all the, the session guys. Well, there was a Bee Gees band and then a couple of extra session guys. About three years later, when I graduated from being an assistant engineer to a first engineer, and I was at another world-class studio, and remember Melanie? I got a brand new pair of roller skates. I did one album with her, which was live in the studio with an audience. We recorded a double album all the way from top to bottom 10 nights in a row and then took the best two bars of this, the best minute and 30 seconds of that, Put it all together, um, very few overdubs, almost all of it was done live, and the record came out great. So she came back as a client like a year later, wanted to do another record with me. They, we just all enjoyed working together a lot. And she showed up with m- several of the players from the Bee Gees rhythm section. They walked in the room and saw in their mind, I was still 19 or 20 years old, you know, wrapping um, cables. And the bass player who recently passed away uh, said, "I'm not working on a record if he's engineering it." And I thought, "What an ass!" First of all, it ain't your record; you're you're a hired gun playing on it. And I literally walked out into the studio because I had a room mic open. and I could hear him say. He turned and looked at me and said, "I'm not. Oh, you're engineering this. I'm not working on a record with you." So I walked out in the room and said, "Tell you what, buddy." Um, cut one rhythm track. When you walk in for the first playback, if it's not a world-class job, just as good as anybody at Criteria or any other pro studio, I'll take myself off the record. And he had to apologize to me in front of the whole rest of the band. They're like elbowing, apologize to the kid. (laughs) So I get that story. All right, let's move on to number two.
2: Oh, well, bad communication we were talking about in the number one is just being disrespectful of people's time. One thing we've learned almost consistently, industry people hate long emails, you know, it's like you said, do a bio, do keep it short. And then people will give you a thousand word bio, you know, or, or just an email explaining everything. It, it they don't have time for that. Just get to the point. And, and I had to, I love to write. So I was guilty of that, but uh, tip though, when we communicate, if you don't understand something, get clarification. And um, a really uh, big time music supervisor gave us that quote for our book, always pick up the phone and get clarification. You will not, it's not a stupid question if you really don't understand something or a procedure, it's okay to, to ask. Email, he prefers a phone call, but most people prefer email. Just, it's better to do that than to make a mistake or give them, Uh, stems that aren't grouped right, or or, you you don't know it's an an exclusive library and you go put your song in five other libraries, that's not gonna fly. If you don't know or understand something, it's okay to get clarification. Do your research first and try and figure out the answer.
0: I would say go to your peers on the taxi forum and try and get the answer there. And if you can't find it elsewhere, if it's something that's particular to that supervisor, library owner, you're absolutely right. Hit them with two sentences by the way, when you said you want the stems broken out like this, I assume that you want blah, 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 but I'm just double checking. Please advise. That should
2: be about, that. yeah. Exactly. It's better than doing it wrong and then going, what are you doing? I didn't want that. So we, we learned that the hard way. Um,
1: yeah, there was, uh, I think this actually made the book where we were at an event and there was uh, somebody from a music library who was talking about um communication with uh, composers and songwriters in the catalog and people submitting songs. and and he actually this is a fascinating part of it. He actually printed out the emails that he received from people and let us all look at it. And, and he would get like, just cold call emails. Hey, I, I, I think my music would be a good fit for your catalog. And they just went on and on for like, I mean, 12 pages. Yeah, like was 12 pages, one. like, right. <laughs> and he had, had
2: diagrams like, and everything. And he actually brings it to music conferences and shows. I like- mean, that he
1: actually, whoever wrote this email actually thought that somebody who's taking in music at a, at a major library has time to go through a 12-page email. Because they
0: only see it through their perspective. It's me, 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 me. And I understand that. People invest a lot of time, a lot of emotion, a lot of heart, and a lot of musical soul in creating this music. And they just can't imagine. There's a whole other world of people out there as well. So I understand it, but I don't endorse doing it.
2: (laughs) So, yes, the second one was know how to follow up. Is that the one you were talking about?
0: Yeah, you said. Um...
1: No, it Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Wait. laughs> <laughs>
2: what was. It?
1: Oh, Wait, OK. Uh... Following up is an, it's an important balance because, you know, if you meet somebody and uh, maybe you want to submit music to them the next day, I, I suppose you could try that um, if you've done some research. But if once you've submitted music to them, you, you can't contact them again that afternoon, or the next day so you get to listen to it yet. <laughs> that's that and then and then the next day and the next day that's that's a good way to get them to just start blocking your email and start yeah. blocking you want to go
0: out on a date with me huh do you want to you want to want to go out on a date with me my mom says i'm really handsome <laughs> so
1: that's, that's one way to mess up following up is is by overdoing it mm-hmm. you know i think it's pretty standard to wait two to three weeks and then say hey how's it going um did you have a chance or do you want me to send anything else any questions um so that can be a problem but the the problem with us giving that advice is it leads to people making the other follow-up uh mistake which is not following up at all now i know that there are some music supervisors some publishers that'll say never follow up with me and when they tell you that believe them yeah but, but yeah. some some of them will say you know uh, follow up with me you know get and, and this is an important thing to get when it, when a music publisher or music supervisor says get in touch with me do it. They're yes. not just messing around. They're telling you that because they think that you can you can work together. And it's they a don't test. Just, yeah, they it's don't just test. say it just to, to make you feel good. Yeah. If they say get in touch with them, do that. And if they don't say never uh, follow up with me, then uh, then go ahead and follow up with them uh, uh, two, three weeks later. Depending, or, or maybe when you see them at another event. Or when you see them, maybe they participated in a uh, uh, an online panel about something. You can uh, email them and say, hey, good job. I saw you on this panel. I like what you had to say about this particular thing, just engage with them. Let them know Mm -hmm. that you're you're, you're, uh, a part of the industry as well.
0: You know, the greatest opening line for a good first date, which means after you meet somebody, is how did you know you wanted to be in the industry? How did you get your start? What was that moment where everything sparked for you? Anything that's about their life story, because it's comfortable for them to talk about it and themselves. And once they're comfortable, then that opens a back and forth rapport versus you have to check out my music. I do rock. I do pop. I do country. I do hip hop. I do it all. I can do instrumental. I can do songs. Like, no, you're an amateur. Versus I heard you mention you grew up in Peoria, Illinois, and I'm guessing that's not a giant music center. How did you get from Peoria? to Los Angeles and end up being vice president of this label, they will love to tell you that story because it's meaningful to them. And you might learn something from their story as well.
1: Yeah. I like asking yeah. them as well, is that because you know, you'll know you meet a music supervisor or a uh, publisher, PRO person, and uh, we'll just assume, oh, they're just business people. They don't make music. It's amazing how many of them are actually musicians it's and sometimes really yeah, songwriters mm-hmm. and composers th- themselves um and and they just happened you know that they, they many of them did not plan on working in the capacity that they're working in it just happens uh we didn't plan on writing music for film tv but but here we are you know you get on your musical path and you follow it where it goes and for some people it, it unfortunately leads to, to a, down a path where they're not creating music anymore but if they were really that frustrated with not creating music And having a desk job then they would do something about that they they like what they're doing there i I think that's definitely something we all have in common that we can always uh find common ground on is is we all love music it might be you know a lot of us are into whatever the, the current pop songs are we can talk about that well i know some uh some people in the business that that don't like current pop songs they like classic jazz or they like you know vintage country or whatever and you know tra- between the two of us tracy and i have a, a love for many styles of music so we can always talk about our favorite songs and our favorite artists from different genres and different periods and that's that's just a good way you know this is the beautiful thing about the taxi rally or any musical event you can strike up a conversation about music with anybody
2: right even the bartender <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Um, because people just love it, you know, we, we actually sat at the taxi rally eating dinner and this woman came in with these four teenagers and they were all dressed up so beautifully and we said... And they they heard us talking about music and they saw the badges, the taxi badges. And they said, is this a music convention? And we said, yeah. They had gone to see Harry Styles and he canceled because he wasn't feeling well. Uh. And so they were like kind of drowning their sorrows at the Daily Grill. And and it was just so cute talking to them. And they said, we got to check out this taxi rally. (laughs) So you never know. What kind of connection you're going to make
0: what did you guys originally get into the industry for and what made you pivot to the sync side of the industry
2: wow we were trying to i was trying to be a hit songwriter and i just was getting really frustrated because people would say well this is more about a feeling it's not really about you know a scene or something especially country they wanted furniture and i was more doing feelings and <laughs> I, I was so frustrated because i said well i don't know where this fits and and i think you were we started writing together but it was kind of frustrating because we wanted to do a hit song and it and, and it just turned out to be feelings and then we happened to go to the taxi rally we were sitting there listening and matt Hurt's reel came up and we also liked instrumentals we were doing a lot of uh, gigs um playing background music vance was playing classical guitar he learned how to do classical guitar he'd never done it before and i go here go learn that
1: a gig's a gig A
2: gig's a gig and he yeah. ended up playing 11 years at a resort classical guitar and i was wow. doing background music for this um for weddings and things like that but we always wanted to be hit songwriters but it's so hard you know and um it, it was frustrating until we went to the taxi rally heard matt and, and matt hurts uh real uh and we said, oh, maybe we should try this stuff because this is really fun. It, it, it just really spoke to us. But now we're doing songs, a lot of songs for um, a music library and now uh, for a publisher. So we'll see what happens with that. But yeah. It's, um, it's, it's and it's funny, actual... it's
0: probably come full circle now because you're back to writing feelings because those lyrics are more universally usable than telling a story that could conflict with the story on screen or be too on the nose with the story so that's funny feelings oops I'm going to get a copyright strike I better quit (laughs) singing what's
2: funny also is that a lot of hit songs get synced now so you hear things like (laughs) One Republic is really doing a lot of sync songs and uh, Ex Ambassadors and uh, Imagine Dragons they've gotten so many huge syncs over the years that's where the money uh, is after your hit song kind of has its life? So yeah, it's ironic, isn't it?
0: Um, what's have we gotten to number three? Are we moving on to number four?
2: Uh, that's doing research. So oh, okay. research. Yeah, so actually, the
1: mistake is not doing research. Yes, yeah, so right. Not
2: doing research. That's a that's a relationship killer because if you don't know. A couple of times we'd be sitting at uh, an event and a huge. Well, you can tell the story about you went to a. Um, <laughs> he's going. What is this?
0: I'm not sure what story It was for a Sundance,
2: for Sundance. The
0: look on your face was priceless. Was like, that's going to be my. That's going to be a meme by dinner
1: time. Yeah, really? it?
2: exactly. It's gone. Was
1: it that? Oh, she's doing it again. Look, is that? Yeah, it's exactly what it was.
2: <laughs> well, you you went to an event, and uh, sitting next to you was a major super. Music supervisor, and he was just kind of standing by himself, and no one was going up and talking to him because he's kind of shy like we are. Oh, so, okay. you went up and started talking to him, and um, he, he, we started a really nice rapport. He's asked us to do a couple of songs for major feature films now. But there was another time you were sitting next to a big, huge composer, and no one else knew about him. Well, it's it been a remember couple of times. Which, who was it? Yeah, we won't say. say.
0: (laughs) Speaking of great composers. You never
2: know who you're sitting next to or who you're going to see in the lobby. So Vance would actually do research about their picture. Say, for instance, they were going to be at a taxi rally panel. He would look up and say, oh, this is who this person looks like and that person. And sure enough, they might walk through the lobby and that's when we talking to a whole family of music supervisors yeah, because no one cool. else knew who they were.
0: <clears throat> but don't let them feel that you're stalking them. But I think it's wise. I, I've done that a hundred times where I've looked at pictures just so I know uh, when I go who's walking by me. And then when I trip them, I can go, oh, can I help you up, Bob? <laughs> 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 I'm sorry that you got a nosebleed all over the hotel lobby floor.
2: Oops. Really? But also take notes when you meet somebody. It's really easy, like Vance just forgetting who he was talking to. (laughs) So you need to take notes. We put it in our phone, or I always have a notepad or something and just jot down quick notes of, oh, someone mentioned that they are going to be in San Diego. And uh, so we'd hook up or something and have coffee or whatever. But it's, it's um, it's important to remember that stuff, especially if you you have a really bad memory. I think ever since I've had COVID a year ago, I just don't have the memory I used to have. So I'm forgetting a lot of stuff. I think you are too. So Aren't we um, all? To, ba- basically yeah,
0: after 50, it's like phew.
2: Done. So it's, uh, do, to do research is really important. You have to know the kind of companies you're approaching. That's a, a relationship killer if you don't know if they're exclusive or non-exclusive.
0: But that's, like that seems so basic and obvious, yet yeah. I would venture to say that the majority of people don't do it, <laughs> that they just don't have a plan. And they think, oh, there's somebody big in the industry. Here, check out my music. They could be only working on movies like Bridgerton, where they need classical orchestral stuff, and you're handing them you know, Green Day pop punk rock tracks it's like yeah. dude talk about making a bad impression or yeah. no impression at best uh, yeah. what's your next one
2: okay we have a failure to understand the music business it is a business that's broad it is, it is very broad and that covers a lot of things
1: well like for instance uh tracy mentioned exclusive uh, if if a library if, if you happen to talk to somebody from a library and they say uh, that, that they offer an exclusive contract and you say, I don't know what that means, well, then they have to explain it to you. Now, mm-hmm. a legitimate question is what kind of exclusive? Because that's something that we found. There are some libraries that exclusive to them means uh, that you can once you sign music with them, you can't sign it with another library, but you can pitch it yourself directly if you want to do that that's right. their version of exclusive there are others where but they would
0: still commission it pardon would, wouldn't would if, if it's exclusively signed to them but you're free to still pitch it are they going to waive their percentage if you get because uh, now you're competing with them right Uh, unless uh, they're going to let you do the legwork and they make the money
1: (laughs) and and that's a legitimate question so just just asking what their specific definition of exclusive is as opposed to not even being familiar with the concept some people think exclusive means oh that means everything i write has to be signed with you in in the in the music library world that's not what it means there are other places where it does
2: yeah like with a major publisher if you're going to be a songwriter and you sign with a huge publisher yeah, everything you write is their property basically, and they're going to control it. You you are not free to sign with anybody else. But if you're doing sync licensing companies or you know um, music libraries, certainly you you might be able to do that. We had a friend who uh, thought a music library was non exclusive. It turned out they were semi exclusive, which the deal was you can only sign with us, but you can go and pitch it as Vance was just saying. On your own, he did not know that he thought he could put the song in several libraries. So it, wow. it was kind of a rude awakening when he found out that wasn't the case. Yeah, so that's that's a that's a big one.
0: Uh, I think in the in the broadest sense, not understanding the industry and it takes a lot of work. It's not going to happen in a weekend. You can't read just Donald Passman's book and all of a sudden you know everything. Maybe if sync is your thing, narrow in on that. And I would recommend um, your book. Steve Barden's book, Dean Krapain's books, Uh, you know, there there are half a dozen books that if you did read all those in a two month period, you would probably surpass the knowledge of a lot of college professors that are allegedly teaching SYNC because all of your books have real world experiential experience behind what you've written versus somebody Who's you know a music department professor at a college in Pennsylvania? That's never actually worked with a library. They know this stuff because they've gone to the trouble of maybe re- uh, reading the books and regurgitating it to their students. But yeah, uh, yeah your book, Dane's books, um, Steve Barton's books, and oh, there's one by music supervisor, female music supervisor. Yeah. I've been been to lunch. Amanda Creek yeah. Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, her book uh, is very good.
2: Yep, thinking about sync. Um, Thinking of sync. Thinking thinking of
0: sync. sync. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: it's really helpful, but it you have to know the terminology. So we spent literally a couple of months just doing our glossary because you have to know the terms. We didn't know some of those terms. We had to go study them and look them up, or just to make sure we understood them. So it is important to know the. the terminology used in the music business? Yeah, so
1: if, if a music library person says, oh, I need you to deliver 4816 WAV files, you can't say what's a WAV file. Right. That's a right. basic thing we're all supposed to know. Now That's, when they say, hey, you know, You I'm, could say that, but they'll never work with you again. Yeah, and when they seriously. say, oh, we're going to need some alternate mixes. And you again, don't say "What? what is, what's an Give alternate mix. Give one, me one with more bass. <laughs> But what you can say is, well, how many ultimate mix mixes do you want? I mean, I know I can do one with with, with no vocal and then, uh, you know, just bass and drums, you know, ask them if there's because some of them want specific uh, alternate mixes. I, I think what's uh, there's a growing uh, um, trend for requesting just the vocal only, yeah, especially if it's for that. trailers. Yeah. So, you know, always ask for, for clarification. But so understand what the basics are for that in that particular realm, the file delivery in this case. Um, and then uh, ask questions about what, how they specifically want it done so that it, you don't want it to be the first time you're finding out about alternate mixes when you've actually got a, a music library on the hook.
2: Yeah, we, we actually did a project where uh, we were working with another producer and he didn't do a production music library at all he does hit songs okay so he recorded it and did it totally in hit song realm mm. instead of production music library and had no idea we had to say oh whoopsie you know <laughs> we just assumed you can't assume that's uh David i'm right. really
0: glad you brought that up because there is a pretty big chasm between the records and radio side of the industry and the music library side of the industry, every time we put the word out, uh, we run ads and turn over every stone we can to find really great screeners, and we always get people that apply that have been vice presidents of a major publishing company, you know, like a Warner Chapel or a Sony or whatever, um, or worked at a major label in A and R for seven years, and they want to be screeners here, and we say how much experience do you have in film and TV? And their experience invariably is licensing major hits. So they've really not had to think about pitching music that's right for a scene, understanding emotion and understanding music's role. It's a different type of placement. When you're putting a hit song in there, you're trying to get more people in the theater because that song is current, it's relatable, they're fans of that artist and the movie must be good if her song is in it. Um, And the song has to work, too. It can't be a terrible fit and not have the, you know, just because it has those other attributes. Whereas the independent music library world and the independent composer, it's all about the scene. It's all about the emotion. And and it's, you guys haven't written a hit that everybody knows. So you're not in demand in that capacity. So you have to work harder, I believe. And... You're right. There's easily half the industry out there really doesn't have a clue about your part of the world. Yeah, um, which is totally- kind of good. Uh, I, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's it, it's less competition. It's less people mucking up the works. You know.
2: Yeah. And, well, and there's a difference between record quality and broadcast quality. They're two different things, really. A record has to be perfect. It has that sheen on it. You know, it's just. Flawless, and it, it brings another emotion. Just how you mix and master it. Whereas in our world, it has to be good enough, clean, and yet you know, punched up and everything mixing wise. But it doesn't have to have that sheen. Um, that's very, very expensive to do that. You know, it just has Martin to
0: be or Charlie.
2: <laughs> Neither. <laughs> but it's it's people don't understand that in the record world. They you know, it's it's just a different way to understand but you need to understand that terminology so understand the music business and how it works it's not that hard
0: if i can pat taxi on the back for a moment broadcast quality was not in the vernacular of the music library world until i put it there and i'm not doing this for self-aggrandizement i just think it's funny how it happened and that it stuck when we first started taxi all the listings were for record labels Major record labels, major publishers. And then a woman named Susan, I shouldn't say her last name, but a music library owner called me and said uh, she sounded just like Joey's agent Estelle on Friends. Can you find me something horrific? You could actually like feel the ash falling off the cigarette as she was talking, and it was bobbing up and down between her lips. And she was the first person to ever ask for film and TV stuff through Taxi, and this was just as ADATs were hitting the market to give you a little timeline. Pro Tools didn't exist. Um, independent music libraries didn't exist. There were five or six or seven big ones, you know, uh, and that's where all and they used professional session players and big studios. Anyway, I remember trying to explain to Taxi's membership, the difference between the quality of a Michael Jackson record and the quality of a piece of music that would make it into a TV show. There was only demo quality and master quality. And I used to get a magazine called Shoot Magazine that was read by video editors and cinematographers working on the TV and film side of the industry. And I opened up and on the inside left cover was a picture of a guy with one of those shoulder mount cameras. And it said, compact. With broadcast quality, and it was for a Panasonic camera. And I went broadcast quality. I'm stealing that. It wasn't my idea, but I knew what to steal because
2: you're afraid, <laughs> no.
0: It, but it perfectly described. It's got to be good, good enough to be broadcastable, which I don't believe is actually a word. Um, but it doesn't have to sound like a Michael Jackson record. Although the bar is constantly being raised because the tools that are at your disposal. All and I mean you're like all musicians all composers, all artists with home studios. The tools are so... What I've got in Logic on my laptop so far surpasses what I had in the last room I worked in that was, you know, like a $3 million room. Way more stuff in Logic. Way more stuff. So, yeah, broadcast quality just means it's well-balanced. It sounds clean. It sounds clear. Or if it's a, a dirty, you know, like down and out acoustic guitar thing where i've got a hangover and i chain smoked two packs of camel non-filters last night maybe yeah. that's right for tom waits <laughs> you know that broadcast quality for tom waits is different than broadcast quality for an orchestral cue They're, yeah. it's all I about it. being appropriate for what it is exactly. uh, what what's the next one on your list
2: um, and then number five is being unprofessional. That'll ruin relationships. Give me some and great
0: that, examples of people being uh, unprofessional. Name names. Yeah, name names. <laughs> I, I want to hear some names. Damn it. <laughs> you can go on and
2: on with this one. It, it has the most on our list, and all the others. But uh,
1: well, we referenced it earlier. Missing a deadline. That's that's number one yeah. as far as being unprofessional. Or delivering subpar music. Um, and they're different. Sometimes we deliver subpart. Not we, uh, we as, as, a, as a community uh, can deliver <laughs> subpart music, and, and we don't know it. But there are other times when uh, it's just not up to our standard because we were in a hurry. We didn't realize that the no melody mix has the melody in it.
2: Yeah. If you if you can and build in some time for checking, because even last week we were doing a project for ten songs. And it was getting kind of down the wire, but Vance waited till the next morning to check all the mixes. And sure enough, he found one that had no melody, but there was actually some melody later on. He went, oh, no, he got to rebalance it, you know, so good thing he did that. It's, it's really important to do that. Um, and then ironically, that a few hours later, the, the company, uh, one of the guys called and said, "Oh." This is not playing back well. It's got some white noise and everything. And we wow. said, oh my gosh, what happened? We checked those fixes. I freaked out. <laughs> we were freaking out and we were at a dinner. We couldn't really leave it or anything. And uh, we were like, literally our hearts were just pounding. And I said, well, you gotta go. You just have to go home and figure out what happened. And then uh, the person texted and called and emailed us all at the same time. He goes, "Never mind. it was on our end. it it was
0: like oh so did you write on your calendar this was the date and time that that guy was unprofessional oh yeah and
2: we've worked with this guy for 13 years we've never had a problem we've always checked so it was just kind of funny that the day before vance was checking the mix going oh my gosh there's this mistake on there but, and then we were freaking out with them, but they they apologized and oh, you know, we didn't think this was right. And it, it was like, everyone was just having a heart attack because they were delivering it to a major company, production company the next day. So, you know, you, we're all gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna do that panic thing. Just, it, it, you have to have a sense of humor. That's one of the biggest things. Just, just go with it and, and be accountable for your actions or inactions. That's a big part of it too, being a professional.
0: Listen. First thing I learned, well, after learning how to wrap cables and fill out take box labels with legible printing, the next thing I learned, very early in my career, probably the the first week, was when you're making a cassette or a seven and a half ips quarter inch reel to reel copy of something, because the band wants to go home and listen to the mixes and decide on the sequence for the album. Make damn sure that you trim the front and trim the back. Don't leave thirty seconds of dead air on the front. Don't leave. Um, oh, I think it was Lebrant tells the story of his wife uh, Stephanie screaming down the stairs to the basement. Uh, Get up here, the pizza's getting cold, or something like that. <laughs> and he is like, "What? What?" And and hit stop. And that was on the track, and he didn't clean it. Might have been Keith, whoever it was, doesn't matter. Wow. Uh, and, and you know, somebody caught that because they let they left all channels open on the end, letting a, reta- a reverb tail ring out, and you hear, yeah.
2: "Get up here, the pizza's
0: getting cold." <laughs> <laughs> it happens.
2: You know? yeah. but the most you can do is apologize and make it right. That's a that's I think another one about being unprofessional. Uh, is people who are difficult to work with but just always try and be easy to work with be flexible if they're asking for something just just do it as best you can or learn how to do it um, we've saved our our hineys many times because we just had to figure it out you know vance heard clicks or something had to figure out how to get rid of them i mean you just have to figure it out you have to be a figure outer we like to say because uh yeah they'll help you you know but well, don't be a problem.
1: <laughs> it's good to be realistic, though. It, 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 there's a balance here because right? it, it's kind of a reference to something you said earlier, Michael, about if you don't have what they need, just tell them that. When a library, libraries first of all like to pigeonhole us and say, "Okay, you are the orchestral people. <laughs> you are the heavy metal yes. and we have to be okay with that. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and again, some of them are going to say, "This is this is what you're going to contribute to my library. This one genre that's all I'm going to let you do." And you have to accept that. Maybe you can the other stuff you can do elsewhere. There's some libraries that will realize, okay, if you do this well, I bet you do a good job of this other thing. Do you do this? And when they ask you if you do a, a, a different genre of music than you've done with them before, um, there are a couple of ways you can approach that. You can say, no, I don't do that, um, and, you know, i.e. I have no interest in doing that. Or, or you can be honest and say, you know, I haven't tried that, but let me give it a go. Yeah. And, and we've give uh, me forty-eight
0: so hours to put something yeah. in your hand, yeah. and yeah. you tell me if I've nailed it yeah. or not.
1: Yeah. And, and we've done yeah. that with taxi listings as well. We've uh, way back when we we're trying to figure out what our genres were. We tried like Latin music and Asian music, and we'd never really had any. Any uh, uh any experience with that before? But we were able to do very well with that, and We got a lot of that placed. Yeah. Uh, and other things we tried trailer music. Not good with trailer horrible. music. Horrible. <laughs> so at this point, we we we're uh, aware of what we do well and what we don't. So if an if a library asks us for something that we know we don't do well, they ask us for trailer music. Nope. You're gonna have to go to somebody else. We're not gonna waste your time trying to trying to do a sloppy job of it because it's just not what we do.
2: Well, in some libraries, you know, we've been asked to do. We were asked to do kind of a trailerized rock. Hybrid and we did. And then the library, we've known him for years, worked with him, and he goes, eh, it wasn't quite what I wanted. And we were really bummed out because we thought, okay, for sure he's going to take it. So we pitched to some other person we knew, and they said, oh, yeah, this is great. I'll take it. It was used in every single episode of a TV show called Forged in Fire. Every single episode. And it never would have had that life if the other guy had taken it. So we were actually grateful, you know. But you can't go online going, that bum, he didn't take our music. I hate them. I'm
0: amazed that people do stuff like that. They literally talk, talk trash about the people who could be or should be their clients, meaning libraries or supervisors, on these websites or in comments under videos or on forums. It's like, dude what you think is what you think but to say it publicly not only is that company not going to want to work with you other companies aren't going to work with you because they say that you're the town crier in a very bad in an undesirable way but the internet fosters that it it, yeah. it, it yeah. encourages just by being there it's like
2: well, i've got a soapbox anonymous you know it, it really helps if it's anonymous and then the companies can't even respond to it i think that's the worst of all so that, that's really sad. I, I actually pity people that do that because I, I think it's a, I don't know, you could get into psychological issues or something, but, but just be nice and, and be willing to be flexible and, and uh, helpful. You know?
0: I've <laughs> so, got a confession yeah. to make. I had somebody doing an anonymous trash talking thing about taxi, you know how I figured out who they were?
2: No. My
0: new best friend, ChatGPT.
2: Oh, oh, wow.
0: He, yeah.
2: Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) See, that's where it's helpful.
0: Yeah, what I did was was I asked ChatGPT to um, list the top 100 comments by this person using their avatar name. And a couple of them, their real name was also on the page.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, and it took
0: all of 30 seconds to unmask them, as they say on the news.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, think about this. It's not just you doing it. It could be a major company or uh, you know a huge pub- music publishing company doing that too. They have to be really careful. These music companies are paying somebody you know some we get sometimes thousands of dollars to create a track for one company. You know, why blow that? You'd be an idiot or you know may, even worse is the major music publishers like in Nashville, they're signing people, they're gonna make them million dollar songs. Yeah Why would yeah. you work with an idiot or you know someone trashing them? That just doesn't make sense. It's sad. Yeah, so it's like a
0: babysitter them. talking about the people that she's babysitting for online in a public way. You're not going to let that young person back in your house to watch your kids ever again. They're yeah. untrustworthy.
1: Yeah, And other parents won't want to hire you too. So yeah. wh- wh- right. where's the upside? Like you said,
0: what's yeah. the right. There is no yeah. upside. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. We've two... got like two minutes and change left. Um, is there okay. one more that we can bang out pretty quickly?
2: Um, I've, just want to say be grateful and, and thankful to people who do give you an opportunity and that goes really far. We would write thank you notes when we'd meet people and um, handwritten thank you notes, really old school. Because Nancy Moran told us that trick and she's in our book and, and that is, is golden. We actually went to a publisher's office when he moved offices and he was moving stuff. And he had this bulletin board and there was our handwritten thank you note, the only thing on his bulletin board. And we were just so flattered and just laughing and said, isn't there anything else you're gonna put on your bulletin board? He goes, no one's ever written me a thank you note. Yeah. Um, and to be really grateful to have an opportunity, let's face it, we're all up against literally thousands, maybe millions of people doing this. There are what 1.3 million members of BMI and almost a million, at ASCAP, you know, think about that. Wrap your head around that. And uh, someone said only one percent can make a living doing this of those BMI and ASCAP writers. One percent make a comfortable or even good living, and then like ten percent make any money at all. We're talking like maybe a hundred dollars a year.
0: Same thing with so, stock stock photography and many other uh-huh. pursuits in the you know in the arts, if you will. Um, I, I think that. Because of those large numbers, people I just saw over the weekend somebody saying, oh, Taxi, they get thousands of submissions. There's another YouTube guy out there that's selling a course that comes with an email list of 200 library emails. And uh, he constantly uh, espouses that Taxi gets like 5,000 submissions for each listing and that we've got 100,000 members. I wish we had 100,000 members. Um, I, I would be like private jet wealthy (laughs) uh, anyway yeah that's right going at home you know the old uh, there was a story years ago about me going home and rolling around on the bed with five dollar bills oh anyway um, why was I talking about that being old Oh, That's- that we don't get 5,000 submissions, but he wanted to sell his course and his list, so he's trying to make Taxi sound unappealing, like you'll never get heard because there's so many submissions. So not this coming week, but the week after, Taxi TV is going to be nothing more than me reading off how many submissions we actually got for the last 10 song listings and the last 10 instrumental listings. People are going to be shocked. I mean, it's not infrequent that we get... 10 submissions for this, 27 for that, 104 for something juicy. On rare occasions, we may get three, four, 500 for like a singer-songwriter thing. You know, a a singer-songwriter love song with an acoustic guitar. We're going to get hundreds for that because everybody thinks they've got one. But oftentimes, the listings are for genres that just don't appeal to a wide swath of people. You know, uh, death metal we're going to get 17 things and 12 of those people are going to know what they're doing because death metal is all they do. Yeah. Um, so it's not... And, and first of all, it's not competitive because everybody who's above the quality line and on target gets forward. It's not like, oh, you know, their music is better than Tracy and Vance's music, so let's let's take them back off the list and put these other people on. No. It's, everything is looked at individually under two criteria. Does it fit what the brief said? And is it over the quality line? Would we be proud to walk this into that music soup or whomever and say, you need to listen to this and that they would invite us back again because they, we've earned their trust by playing them the right thing at the right time in a professional setting? Yeah. Um Man, this has been great. Everybody in the in the chat room say, wow, this went by so quickly. Thank you, guys. Really, really great information. And last time I had you on the show, I had not read the book cover to cover, but I actually have read the book cover to cover now. And it's really good. And I really appreciate, it's the old engineer in me, but Vance, the fact that you talk about engineering stuff up front in the book, I'm surprised that you did that in a in a good way because a lot of people might have the music in their head and their heart, but they're afraid to to work a DAW. They're afraid to transition from their old Tascam 8-track to a DAW, and, and, and they're only hurting him or herself by doing that. So you've actually given them some encouragement and basic tools right up front in the book that I believe will help them cross that chasm. So good on you for doing well, that.
1: Thanks, Michael. That, that means a lot coming yeah, from you.
2: Yeah, thank that,
1: you. The, the, the chapters on mixing, and uh, they were a lot longer. Like 60 was, pages was, longer. The, yeah, there was a lot, <laughs> a lot of editing that happened there. But yeah, it's just stuff that we didn't know. Um, yeah. And I just, I just wish that it's the whole motivation behind the writing of the book. We wanted to make information available that we wished was available 20 years ago.
2: Yeah, or even, um, you know, in uh, one place, because the information is now out there, but it's everywhere, it's in different places. So we yeah. just want, that's why the book came out so big. We were trying to keep it small, but uh, it just, <laughs> there was so much information. Yeah. That's like trying to write a two and
0: a half minute song. <laughs> yeah, I remember <laughs>
1: when I first made contact with you years ago, and we and we were just learning how to use Pro Tools and how to do mixing, and you recommended, I'm not sure if you remember this, Studio Buddy. Oh yeah yeah, that was actually really helpful. I mean, it, it, but but it was it was its own separate thing. And then how to write a song, we would have to find someplace else. So that's what the book is it's how to mix. It's how to write uh, all exclusive, non-exclusive wave files, all the things we're talking about. Uh, are in there because yeah. we just want to have it all in one place. And it's I kind totally of an
2: overview understand. of everything. And if you want to do a deeper dive, of course, read Robin's book because that is yes. amazing on how to write for film and TV. She gives you exercises. We just wanted something that covers a little bit of everything in the music industry, so you'll know all the terms and you can be professional and have a conversation with a, a music publisher, and you won't look like a you know like you don't know anything. You have to know this stuff because there's so much competition out there
0: make yourself easy to work with and don't trash anybody online if you can just do those two things and meet deadlines you you're way ahead of many other people that don't do that
2: exactly for sure and and be positive you know we we try to encourage people to don't trash and pile on the music industry because everyone has a horror story. We've all been burned. We've all had that co writer that disappeared or something. You know, <laughs> all of us have that horror story. But you gotta move on and get over it and, and we did and, and I'm not bitter anymore. It took me until like <laughs> anymore. <after. laughs>
0: Vance, but you better you know, keep doing the dishes, buddy. Because it sounds to me like she knows how to carry a grudge.
2: It happens to everybody. The more horror stories we meet, we go, "Wow, we didn't have it that bad," you know. So it, it's it is being positive and being uh, a good. Encourager, you know, to, to encourage people. Well, and people,
1: the, the uh, music library people, music supervisors, sync agencies, they want to work with people that they want to hang out with. Yeah.
2: yeah. You'll yeah. hear that all the time. You know? Yes, good
1: music, but just being professional and understanding the business and just being a friend, I mean, that, that goes a long way.
2: Yeah.
0: It's fun. Yeah. I don't have many local friends. Rob Shirelli and I are very close. We hardly ever talk. We live four houses from each other. We've known each <laughs> other for decades, and we would trust each other with our lives, literally take a bullet for each other. And yet we don't see each other much. And funny enough, like over the course of any given weekend, I will talk to at least two, if not three, or four music library owners, because we can all commiserate about the future of the industry, about the biggest pains and the butts that we've worked with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We live in the same world every day. So yes, uh, you become friends with the people that you mu- earn each other's mutual respect by being professionals.
2: Absolutely, yep, yep. and well, hang in there, don't give up. Now,
0: everybody. Oh, God. How can we could do a whole show on not giving up? Because so many people do. And they could literally Uh, be six months away from getting that first thing. And it's not just one lucky break that buys you a house. It's I made twelve hundred dollars last year. This year I made thirty six hundred dollars next year. I'm going to make two thousand dollars. A year later, I'm going to make eighteen thousand dollars, and the year after that, I made forty-one thousand. That's the way that's it exactly really goes. What
2: happened to us, and we just when we thought we were going to give up, saying this sucks, is a horrible business, <laughs> something would happen, well, and that, it almost always was great, and like paid the bills for another month and just kept us going. So the story that, that Tracy
1: was telling about the song that was used in Fortune Fire. It got rejected twice. Yeah. We thought, okay, this is what are we doing? This is this isn't going to work. We're horrible. And it ended up getting signed. (laughs) And all of a sudden it just started getting placed that literally made us thousands of dollars of an instrumental that got rejected twice.
2: And then three times during the pandemic, everyone was streaming. And so our royalties actually went way up during the pandemic. Right show got streamed like crazy so you know i
0: enjoyed the lockdown i didn't enjoy people dying during the pandemic clearly oh. or getting sick but i did enjoy the lockdown i love doing the quarantine happy hours that it was, was just great. So, so easy talking about making friends you know literally we built a family in a matter of a week and just i i, I never imagined in my wildest dreams how much fun it would be doing that show
2: Yeah, that was great. Yeah.
0: I I will always feel a great debt of gratitude to the people that showed up for that thing all the time. They they became my wife got stuck in Israel for two and a half months. I was home alone. No wife, no kids, no buddy, just me, my laptop and this camera and, and they made it fun. I couldn't wait to the next day to do another one and oftentimes didn't know what the hell i was going to do for a show so i'd pick up a book like yours uh, <laughs> 10 minutes before i went live and go uh, uh, we're, we're
2: ooh, busy th- writing the book <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: there, there's a good topic okay <laughs> and literally i would say 70 percent of those shows i had no idea what i was going to do until we went live anyway oh, those are fun
2: those
0: yep fun. i love a good challenge so thank you very very much for joining me today congratulations once again putting out a great book. Uh, Liz has been putting the link in the chat room. You can find it on Amazon as well. Don't forget to join us next week. Um, I am actually not going to be in the office next week, but I've already recorded a conversation I had with a pretty big music attorney that's clientless is amazing. And I talked to him about potential legal problems with AI, artificial intelligence, in the future. And by his own admission, he said, it's so new, all we can do, he said to me before we went on camera, he said, you know, I don't know. And I said, I know you don't know, No, nobody <laughs> knows. But let's think about what could happen, positive and negative, and from a legal perspective, because you're a lawyer. So. Anyway, uh, you guys will be seeing that next week. And uh, I had a plan for two weeks from now. Whatever. We'll figure it out. Ten minutes before we go live. Thank you, Tracy and Vance Marino. Really pleasure to have you guys here. Bye-bye. See you guys next week on another exciting... Oh, and if you haven't subscribed, what the hell? (laughs) Give us a like, too. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. (laughs)
1: Keith
2: flew <laughs> <laughs> <Chief Le>
0: Grant.
1: Lou <laughs> flew Grant, that was his name.